Welcome everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Roberts, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. For those of you that have been with us for a while since the beginning of the podcast, you know that we are about displacing confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to live free. I have a special guest today that represents everything that is embodied in the message of rest. And I want you to hear her story. Her name is Leslie Lamb. Welcome, Leslie. Thanks for having me, Virginia. (laughs) It's been almost eight years Mm -hmm. since I first met you. And every time I think of you, I think that you embody what I knew 40-some years ago I was going to have to be prepared to do. And I knew that the times that I was growing up in and the spheres of influence that I was a part of and that was educating me, I knew that something had to change, that something was wrong. There was too much emerging confusion, chaos, and disease way back then when it came to history government and education, frankly, history being the root cause of something, government being people's capacity to navigate their conscience, right, to make, to to govern, to direct, regulate, control, and restraint. And education is the kinds of conversations we're having to communicate ideas, right? So, intuitively, I knew that how we navigated that conversation first in our primary spheres of influence, meaning our li- our own personal lives, our conscience, right? And then our relationships, our communities, and our state and our nation would have significant consequences. So without getting too abstract, that is the heartbeat of rest, is to displace confusion, chaos, and disease by giving people a broader understanding of history of government, and of education in such a way that it can be transformative in their personal lives. Because I clearly saw that what was eroding, what was diminishing, was people's capacity to reason well through thoughts, ideas, messages, curriculum, without either dismissing the importance of these things, or engaging in arguments and being combative about them. They were just kind of these two extremes, right? But your whole story and how you came to rest and how we met really encompasses this unconventional approach to healing and wellness in the midst of an unbelievable story of pain and loss and addiction and confusion and chaos and dis-ease, I was so compelled 
by your commitment to persevere in the midst of all those things, knowing that you would prevail in time or outside of time, but you would prevail and your story would not have the end that everybody expected, including yourself. So I want our listening audience to hear, first of all, how you came to rest. Secondly, what was your experience here in and weave it into the narrative of your story? what brought you to us because you take unconventional approaches to everything (laughs) and you persevere knowing that you will will prevail even if it's going to kill you and I want people to find hope in your story yeah thanks so much Virginia for that gosh where to start I I often tell people my husband and I have a company called cultural architects and it's a leadership and development company and my husband actually holds a, a legitimate doctorate And I like to tell people that I also hold a doctorate, and it's from the School of Hard Knocks. Yeah. And we all come from different backgrounds, and and often say that that I was raised by a pack of wolves. That's not too far from the truth. Um, What I came out of in an abusive, alcoholic home. And uh, it was a long, conventional journey for many years, going after all of the conventional ways to... Heal, yeah, heal. And so I did all the things. How about heal or survive, huh? Both, right? Yeah. Right? Uh, you said something a, a moment ago about about making up my mind, right? And the the fact of the matter is, is when I came to, to you to rest, my mind was anything but clear. I was in the height of confusion and chaos and pain. And there is something about the human spirit that carries us. Doesn't matter where you where you land in in spiritual matters, but we are fearfully and wonderfully made beings. We're body, soul, and spirit. And I think it was the it's the spirit of a person, the essence, the life force of a person that that urges them on to persevere. But when I came to rest, I had been persevering for many, many years. Like, but here's the 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 key. For me, I was doing it in my own strength. And my chaos and my addiction and my confusion, my mental illness, all of that was very hidden. And I survived in my own strength. And I had exhausted all of the conventional resources of modern medicine and medications and therapies and modalities. I had tried them all that were available to me at that point in time. And so when I came to rest, I really was at that place of, of if I can't figure something out here, I'm going to die. I remember those were your first words to me. I've done, I've tried, and I'm at the end of my rope. Yeah. If I don't do something, I will die. Yeah. Your brother had passed away. I lost a brother to alcoholism and, and mental illness, and my father also died from the effects of alcoholism. Yeah. So there's a whole heritage component. Mm-hmm. And also what mental was, illness on my on my maternal side of the family. There was schizophrenia, and like I got a I got a really lovely deck of cards when I started off. Give us a little bit about your background. 
he grew up in a home there was alcoholism by the age of 14. Your mom divorced your father. Yes, Is that right? 14, 15, she finally mustered the courage to, to leave a, a really unhealthy marriage that she had tolerated for many years. My brothers were already gone out of the house, and it was just me. And I, I chose, I was given the, I was given the choice. And I chose to stay behind with my dad, who was the, the alcoholic abuser in the family dynamic. I chose to stay behind for a lot of really wrong reasons. And without getting too deep into the weeds on that, in my young heart, I, I, believed, I believed some really serious lies. And the primary lie was that if only I could do better. If, if I would stay behind and take care of him and be, you know, be what he needed, that, that, that I would earn his love and his acceptance, and then I would be okay. And he groomed you for that because he had transferred much of the affection from your mom to you. And he wasn't kind to her. He was. He didn't honor her. He didn't respect her. That turned into somewhat of an abusive relationship. Yeah, Is and, that accurate? And anybody that grows up in an alcoholic or and it, it, pick your addiction. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It can be drugs. It can be. It can be pornography. It can be shopping, gambling. Pick your pick your poison. Right. Okay. That in those homes, nobody gets in and nobody gets out. So well put. Yeah. Interesting dynamic around that. You use the word grooming. I think in my case, I really don't believe that my my dad was consciously aware. But neuroscience has finally caught up with with some other uh, very ancient thinkings that that up to ninety five percent of our thinking is actually occurring at a subconscious level. We're not aware of the thoughts and the beliefs that are driving our feelings and our behaviors. But every feeling that you experience, every behavior that you do is birthed in a belief or a thought in your heart, in your mind, right? That's that mind part of our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. And of course, that gets translated up into the operating system, our brain. But there are, there are ways to, to get down into that subconscious. And one of the biggest gifts that I was able to pull out of my season of rest with you was exposing those beliefs and those that mm-hmm. deep thinking in my heart and those those thoughts and those beliefs come out of trauma oftentimes mm-hmm. right we don't science also shows that when in a heightened state of emotional arousal or trauma if you will our DNA actually shakes for information and when the stories you talk so beautifully about story in your work and when an inaccurate story drops in whether it's something somebody in our life told us about or if it was something you know in the ethereal realm whatever that comes in or even something just generated out of our own thinking it gets locked into our dna and it gets locked into our physiology which is why the work that you do is so significant because the body does keep the score what's that saying something about being buried alive you can't there's a phrase I can't think of it. Feelings right now. buried alive never die. That's it. That's and the, the stories, the stories of our ancestors stay with us. Indeed. Okay, so 
jumping into 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, you marry, you have mm-hmm. children. Talk a little bit, just briefly, so they have context for how you got here. Yeah, I'll give you the, I'll give you the really fast and dirty. So I, I ended up being a, a single mother at, at barely 18 years old, and I was on my own. I had a full-time job. I was finishing school, raising a baby on my own. And a few years later, I met a man. I married him. I had another child. And within a year and a half, thankfully, it wasn't a long time, we discovered that he was a pedophile and that he had actually got his claws into my first child, who was would have been in the three- to five-year-old range at the time. And so that, as you can imagine, was... Devastating. It was devastating. It was devastating to the child. It was devastating to me. It, it, it buried in these very early stories about my identity, about myself, that I was... In addition to being a... a wonderful alcoholic. My dad was also a misogynist. He hated women. So when I was growing up, I would hear some pretty, pretty awful things that aren't even worthy of repeating here. But basically, I came out of my childhood believing that I, because I was born a female, I was less than, I wasn't worthy, I didn't deserve love. And, and so when this, this, terrible tragic event happened in my first marriage that just carved another path another neuro pathway in my belief system and also in my my natural brain that see you're not worthy you're not lovable and and so my life was a progression of that even though I was very successful in my career I was every time a man was promoted over me that I trained or whatever, and I there was a perceived or actual rejection. There you go. There's another another groove in that belief system in my thinking that proved. See, what we don't realize is because we're unaware of what's going on at a heart level, a subconscious level. That's what drives us. And we go out into life and we're not aware of it most of the time. But we're looking for evidence to support the story that we believe. Comfort. There's a measure of comfort in that and familiarity. Yeah. And so that, that marriage ended. I was a single mom for several years, remarried again, another great choice this time it was a man of the cloth who ended up fleecing me out of everything that I had worked for and had done his fair measure of of abuse of of the kids as well and there's there's still verbal abuse yeah and there's still wreckage from that but that's you know that's slowly being that's slowly being restored so that marriage ended and I thought okay you know I'm done and I I dove in a third time I know it's hard to believe, like, how stupid is this woman? This is what ingrained patterns of thinking that you're unaware of do to you. They drive your behavior. And so I took another dive. And this time thinking, oh, well, this person's never been married before and they've never had children and this will be perfect. There's no baggage. One of the best things that's ever happened to me in that 
in that particular marriage uh, psychologist. I had met with him alone. It was a marriage psychologist. And he said, Leslie, let me, let me ask you a couple questions here because your husband's not with you. I'm like, okay, go ahead. And he goes, so let's get the story straight. Your, your first husband was pedophile. Your second husband was, a, you know, crook, a, a crook. Who fleeced you? <laughs> and your current husband is is by all accounts, you know, a narcissist. So, um, what's the common denominator here? And I mean, it was a slap upside my head. Well, we all know the common denominator was me. And so, what was it that was going on in me? Don't think for one second you don't put off an attraction for what you're trying to, you're unaware of it, but you're, you're trying to reconcile the chaos and disease that's going on inside of you. <laughs> and you end up attracting the very thing that you're trying to reconcile. It's really, really curious how we do that. But I'll never forget the day we were talking, and I'm glad you brought that up yesterday, because I'd forgotten it. But immediately in one of our first meetings, I said, you're living as a victim. You grew up. Talk about that. Girlfriend, that was the second I was going to get there. So that first upside my head was that doctor that, that, you know, pointed out the blinding flash of the obvious, the BFO, that I was the common denominator. And it was really a, it was a beautiful gift because it, it really, that was a pivotal moment. I think all of us can look back on our lives and, and pinpoint times or seasons or situations that that really shifted the trajectory of our lives and that was one of those key things because it it caused me then to quit blaming all of external forces and really start to take a look at the inside but I was doing it on my own and I was a hot mess and so when I came to Virginia and to rest in one of our first meetings she looked me right in the eye and she said you know you're a victim and I was furious like I I can remember you don't know my you don't you know if that's the last word anybody who knows me would ever use to describe me do you know what I've overcome and what I've done and I mean I just launched into this very aggressive um, defense of why every reason why I was anything but a victim. And I remember driving driving home that afternoon and just I mean, I was having a temper tantrum all the way home. And I finally got home and I finally got quiet and I settled myself into into the heart of who I was. And I was like, oh crap. She's right. <laughs> But when you think about the circumstances, the ecosystem, if you will, in your home during those developmental years, you had to be compliant to those in authority over you. And even if you would have responded in rage, you're still young without power or authority to do anything. So it's the compliance that comes with being in the midst of confusion, chaos, and disease that creates 
the victimhood. Right. And that's really key because when we're children, we are victimized. A hundred percent. Yeah. But when we're adults, we, this is why you have to choose to stay there, right? Right. And I work with a lot of people from a trauma place now too. And many times, and there's just a lot of documentation around this, people when they reach, you know, that 30, 35 age range is oftentimes when a lot of like sexual abuse starts coming up to the surface because we get we have these we're so the brain the human brain is so fascinating how it almost creates a protector that helps us forget the trauma but our bodies keep the score and and that trauma will eventually make its way out it has to because we're we're designed that way we can't hold on to that this is the origin of disease by the way when the body continues to hold on and doesn't release that stuff and so when we're when we're children and we're true victims if we have not had somebody in our life that can help us flush navigate, it out right? flush it out navigate rewrite the story that stuff gets super pressed down but it's still driving our behavior and our feelings and for me my own journey around addiction with alcohol was just that i was seeking comfort when Mm -hmm. in reality what a drug or a substance or a an addictive behavior does for you is it what's the word we were talking about earlier today it almost it anesthetizes you but that's not the same thing as comfort it's a counterfeit to comfort you were you were sharing earlier with me today about tea versus versus cocktail hour that's right yeah when at the end of a hard day, every day, well, just at the end of a day of a schooling day, I always had tea for my kids. We had tea and we had tea after dinner and it was just almost a ritual. And I thought tea time or cocktail hour, I realized that the same thing that cocktail hour does for people, tea time did for us. And even now when things are we're having a significant conversation, a meaningful anything, or even when we're together, the question is, Mom, can I fix you a cup of tea? Yeah. And I believe they do that for each other. And it brings memories of something that is divine. Yeah. Because it feeds the soul. Mm. Divine things feed the soul. Indeed. Dark things extinguish the life of the soul. That is so true. And when you were talking today about the function that alcohol had in the narrative of your own story, mm-hmm. because it did reach the levels of where you thought, I'm not going to survive no, I this. I drink myself to death. It's amazing the amount of alcohol you could consume. <laughs> I'm Irish. Yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing. And I just realized what alcohol did for you, tea does for me even today right but tea is pure right tea tea nurtures the body mm-hmm. and of course we know what alcohol does to it does just the opposite it is yeah. such a counterfeit comfort all addiction is a counterfeit comfort that's so good um I will share this because I think it's relevant I wasn't a, a one and done my journey around around drinking was a start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop for years, for years and years and years. What does that mean? Start, stop, start, stop. Yeah, so not drink, right? 
and and went through the you know the whole conventional uh, recovery that people do and and there's benefits to that i'm not poo-pooing the whole recovery movement right but it doesn't it does not set a person free and so i would have long stretches where i wouldn't touch alcohol but i would always find my way back and i believe the reason why is because i will go so far as to say every issue that the human race faces is an identity issue I always look around the world, we have an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about necessarily sexual identity. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm talking about we don't know who we are. And until we reconcile that, we're going to continue to go back to those things that are familiar and comfortable because we don't understand the magnificence, frankly, of our creation that's right and when we come into the revelation of that that old way of thinking no longer dominates our soul our mind our will and our emotions right because the purpose of that identity isn't to determine what you're going to do but it will define who you're going to be and that is the distinction it is about being this thank you for saying that we have a we have a saying no be do right you've got to know who you are and embody that you've got to be that be that be what you know is the truth we're all on a, a a quest to find the truth what is the way? How do I define who I am? That's a, that's a question that, frankly, must be answered if you're going to walk in the fullness of your life. And that is the seed of rest. That is the aim of rest. And I yes. watch you do it with so much tenacity, perseverance, with so much consistency. And the thing that I observed emerge, and I see this 100% of the time, people that go through our program, and it's not a one or a two week thing, it's a lifestyle thing. And to learn a lifestyle, as you know, you've got to delve deep into these ideas, into the language, into how we communicate, into how we process information. But once we do it, it's so integrative, and it's so practical that the transformation really comes relatively easy because it does access this spiritual constitution of who we are. 100%. And intuitively, right, the comfort we're seeking is because something inside says, wait a minute, I can see that I'm meant for more than this, but I'm trying to satisfy my value, my worth, who I am and who I'm supposed to be, not do, right? In the context of all these external things that don't matter. And so when we reach all these dead ends, of course, we're going to go shop, drink, have sex, do all these other things to satisfy that hole in us. And it's only God, and I believe, and I'm verbal about this, and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that can clear that kind of fog. And although I don't make a huge platform of that, that is the seed of our value and our worth and our purpose. 
is knowing that God is, but I saw that compel you and drive you in the darkest moments of your life. I watched it happen with your third husband. We had an encounter here in this family room, and I want you to talk about that for a minute, because I think that was the third defining point from my perspective that I knew you were either going to die or this was the point of no return. You were going to be free. Yeah, there is, there are, there are certainly, I will say forces, forces that be that mix with our, with our wounded souls. And I was here at the villa with that particular spouse. And I want to say this from a place of encouragement don't be alone. Mm. Do not get into agreement that there is not help and that it's up to you or that nobody cares or that you're not worth saving because you are. And on that day, I wow, I'm even looking across the room and we were sitting, my, my spouse at the time and I were sitting on the sofa and Virginia was talking with us and as his as he got worked up got worked up and I didn't realize I was doing it this we need mirrors guys we need mirrors in our lives and I didn't know I was doing it at the time until Virginia mirrored it to me but I was all but disappearing in that sofa as he rose up by the way I've never ever seen anybody disappear recoil so quickly and so in such a dark way so fast it was it was really fascinating but it was also a moment of breakthrough it was what ensued after that afternoon and the work that we continue to do together really stormed out of here he did Mm -hmm. but i want to say something kudos to you because your first response oh virginia thank you thank you i'm so sorry i'm so embarrassed i'm so sorry and then you said, I, I think I need to leave. I said, absolutely not. Our time's not up. I still have another hour and a half. <laughs> do you remember that? Oh, that was already I after four hours. <laughs> <laughs> that particular day, I had met with you and he joined us. Mm-hmm. But I still had time in that segment of the appointment. Yeah, I tend to go in deep and aggressive with and saturate situations once you cut somebody open or once somebody is willing to open up you can't just finish because the time's up 45 minutes into a discussion so i'd seen leslie alone that day and then her spouse joined us so we were only he only lasted here less than 30 minutes Mm. and i remember looking at leslie and i said absolutely not i still have an hour and a half left and you were almost shaking yeah and i had never seen that happen in real time but i want to say something kudos to you you said okay 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 and it's almost like you went into like a childlike state and i said let's go into the war room so we went to this ginormous desk i have here in what would otherwise be the pool room and i'll never forget we sat in this exact position, except I was over there. That's right. I remember so clearly. Yeah. I think it actually was right here. That's right. And here we are years later having this conversation, but you stayed in the 
pocket and continued to walk through that terrain that felt like quicksand. I'm never going to forget it. And I knew you were going to be free. That was one of those those moments in time where where there was a shift. I'll call it a shift in in I'll I'll just call it a shift. But how the shift came into being was that you held up a mirror to yeah. me. You were able to reflect back. This is why you can't do this alone people. You were able to just not tell me anything, not counsel us around anything. You held up a mirror, essentially, and it reflected back what what was happening, and it unlocked something in me, and it gave me the courage to continue to persevere. And this is what I want to say about prevailing perseverance. I like to ask people when I meet them, if your life, if you put your whole life in a book, what would the title of your book be? And it's so interesting to get the different reactions from people because life, I believe life happens from us. It's, it's from the heart flow the issues of life. And while there's a lot of things that happen to us externally, it is what's going on inside of us internally and how we govern that that, that determines our our level of, of freedom. And the reason I would call my own story prevailing perseverance is because I persevered for many years. I was exhausted. I didn't have any more perseverance left in me. It was where the prevailing perseverance came through was in moments like that where I started to see who I really was. The good, the bad, and the ugly, by the way. To actually see, have it brought into the light of what was. Because we can't get to what's next until we have a revelation and we know what is. It's really important. So good so good you did all the hard work you stepped into freedom something that I repeatedly say is I'm not a therapist and I'm not a conventional counselor I'm an educator according to the state of California a thought leader and a curriculum developer and what I do is discipleship counseling which is instructional in nature because we reason together right so we put everything we have on the table and then we begin to put these beautiful pieces together and i do have technology that i use and Mm -hmm. i have all kinds of resources i use to verify the merit of these narratives that are developing as we speak to see if they're true or false because it's really the lies we believe about ourselves absolutely and you're big on that i'm huge that on that cause the greatest <laughs> destruction yeah and not to get too thick spiritually but we do have an enemy we do have an adversary who comes to kill steal and destroy and the only way he can do that is through 
lies that and we our agreement with those lies and our agreements we, uh, gosh, with those lies hear this but the lies we, about ourselves each other and the situations we're dealing with so there's layers and dimensions to these lies it's not a linear concept no. it's complex and that's why the spirit the soul and the body and understanding that becomes important right there is an order to it it's not yeah. linear but there is an order to our being there's an order to oh, it yeah. and and that is that was the unlocking for me in the in the knowing of that of of who I am not what I do not what I look like not where I live not what other people think about me but who I actually am and so much of the work that's done at rest really does unlock that that reality the truth the truth of who of who we are in the world that we live in and how it all works together and the we inner have, workings yes we have we're powerful beings we are powerful beings and we get to decide what we're going to do with what you know there's you know an ancient saying that in this world you will have trouble nobody escapes it and it's not like one person's trauma is worse than say another person's trauma it's how you hold that trauma in your body and how long you hold that trauma in your body that gives us the results that we have and and you can you can overcome you you can overcome you're not you don't have to remain a victim no you're that's a that's a lie you you actually are powerful but not in your own and strength. recognizing your recognizing the reality of victimhood is not a weakness it requires meekness meekness is strength under control weakness is crumbling yes that's so, super good right and when you deny that in fact it was abusive it was chaotic mm -hmm. it was destructive it was harmful it was hurtful i didn't know where to breathe I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do other than fight back or disappear, whatever it is, mm -hmm. right? Or please, in mm -hmm. some cases. That's still because... Or hide. Or hide. That's right. The point is that if you don't negotiate that fact with meekness and humility, you always talk about humility, then you can't heal. Yeah. So these are positions that courageous people that begin to think in unconventional ways and are resolved to persevere and prevail to your right point leslie though that's where victory is found that's where triumph is found yeah. in saying i will no longer I'm going to rise up against conventional thinking. Mental health is the number one health crisis in America today. So why would I want to continue to go through conventional methods to yeah. heal when what I really need is to persevere knowing that I have all the resources to prevail? Yeah. So you take, you have the final word on this. Yeah, I would just say that's, you know, that's that soul that soul sickness and some people out there what might is be, soul sickness that soul sickness where there's so many wounds that have been perpetuated against our our life right it's our life that's our soul is the mixed with our the spirit of a man is our life and and we take hits and 
again, got to flush them out. You got to flush them out. And some people might be thinking, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired. I don't have any more strength to fight. And that's actually a really good place to be. And I don't mean that from the conventional, oh, I'm in a place of surrender. We don't even understand the word surrender in our modern vernacular. When you hear the word surrender, you think, even if you look it up in the dictionary, it, it's I give up and I wave the white flag and I relinquish, this is important, I relinquish all of my control to another. But in our in our secular understanding of the word surrender, if you read on, it's I surrender to an enemy. Whoa. We also hate the word submit because we don't know what it means. Who in their right mind would surrender? to an enemy. Nobody in their right mind would do that. And that's why we struggle so much with what that word is. You're not alone in this. And you do need help. And there is help. There God is a God is real. And and it this was this was the 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 final the final straw if you will of busting into a place of freedom around around addiction for me was was that every time I kept getting pulled back into it it was because I was doing it alone hear this in my own strength if I work hard at this if I just do do hear me do all the things that they convention are telling me to do then I will be able to I will be able to control, I will be able to manage the chaos that is is always inside, inside of me. Inside of me instead of unlocking that and tapping into that truth, that spirit that that tells me who I am. That's my power source. And what Leslie just described is the function of liberty. Yes. Negotiating that transaction within your soul your mind your heart your will your conscience and your feelings feelings remember in all this is a function of the soul what we emote is different that's a function of the limbic system it's a function of the brain so understanding that transaction becomes really important so you are not taken captive and live in the bondage of your limited understanding of submission and surrender. That is not the biblical model of submission is meekness, strength under control, and surrendering. It is not that you're willing to do it, it's to what are you willing to to submit or and to surrender who, to, to or who to in who. the divine question who so is it people or yeah. tangible external carnal things or is it to this quiet still voice this thing that is continuously trying to speak life into your your life i, I, I will close with this thank you there's three questions that must and i do mean must be answered if you are going to walk in the wholeness um, in freedom of who you are. And the first question is, is who is God? You have to know that. 
You have to know that. And so many people, whether they were re- raised in any kind of religious environment or not, there is that inherent need to know who the creator is. Because because the creator breathed us into existence. He spoke the universe into existence and he breathed his very character and nature into the dirt of the ground and he created a living being. He created a soul, us. And so our identity comes from our creator. Actually, the etymology of of God, that word father means source. And so if if we will explore with curiosity and an open heart on on just erase everything that you know you think you know about god especially if you've got bad thoughts around that that god's mean or he's punishing like i i encourage you to freshly approach this question to virginia's point that still small voice get quiet and ask who are you god what do you this is a great exercise god what do you want me to know about you today You know, Leslie, I want you to know, and you just start writing what you hear, sense, see, you know, with your whole, engage your whole being in that. And the second question that has to be answered is, who am I? And we can't honestly and truthfully answer that question until we've got the first question answered, because you were created in the image of God. You're an image bearer of the creator of the universe, and to know that he's good and he loves you is to be able to say, yeah, I'm a reflection of that. I'm, I'm lovable. And I, w- I am here, which is the third question. Why am I here? What's my purpose? I believe it's to love. And that, that opens up a whole other lifelong pursuit of what is that? How, is, how do I be that you've got to know you've got to embody it be and then you do your doing in life flows out of your being it flows out of your who-ness so good leslie thank you so much oh thanks for having me i always knew something special was going to come out of our work together and it's amazing to see you sit across from me You glow now, and you're impacting the lives of thousands and thousands of people. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, everyone. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.